thy knife chip and shatter. Uh, this mic, literally, you can kiss it. That's how close you want to get. This one? Yes. If you want to make kissy noises, that's totally unacceptable. But... Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Nerd Soup. I am Bo Oliver, joined here today with Aaron, and we are back to review Dune Part 2, as you could see from the title in our previous episode that dropped yesterday, our Dune Revisited. We're coming back to do our spoiler-free, wow, let me say that again, our spoiler-free review of Dune Part 2, and uh, probably next week, when we give everybody a chance to watch it over the weekend, we will release our spoiler discussion, hopefully with Teddy. He's going on Saturday. Uh, hopefully, Aaron, you'll be able to make it because he did buy the ticket. But if you want to fuck him over because he's fucked you over so many times, perfectly fine with me. He texted me. He messaged me. He said he hoped the movie sucks because we were seeing it before him. That's a, You know what? We're in our 30s now. Yes. He just can't. It, it, whenever he's not involved, he has to make sure he wishes us horribly yes so and i actually think he's the lucky one because us seeing it earlier means that we have to wait even longer to see it again yeah yeah exactly yeah no it does it's weird when you're in this uh in between because you're not anticipating anymore so you don't have that feeling that everybody else has you know that special feeling it's like when uh you're at the airport and everybody's already landed they're walking past you i'm like that's a good feeling to just landed yeah i'm taking off I don't know if that really works, but I think people... It's about feeling. Yeah. I'm going Thursday. When are you going again? I guess Saturday. Like, but we, like I wanted to go back today, but I couldn't, so... Right, yeah. right. Did you... Uh, are you planning to rewatch the first one? Because I almost did that last night, too. What, before I go see the second one? Well, just I was just in such a doom mode. Yeah. I was like, I, can I knock this out? But I, I couldn't. I no. was listening to the music, though. <laughs> I was listening to it, too. And I was watching just a bunch of YouTube videos, so... Totally unrelated to Dune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First take. I was watching that bow and arrow kid again. <laughs> guy rocks. Like, yo, this guy would be awesome in Dune. <laughs> it would be a problem. All right, yeah, so let's get into it. Like we said, um, many people have seen it because of the early screening, and uh, we're going to keep this whole review spoiler-free. Dune Part 2, uh, I mean, for anybody who loved the first one, they're going to absolutely go head over heels for this one, because in my opinion, even though the first one was good, this is just... Um, a step up uh, into territory where uh, the way people were talking about the first Dune is how I will talk about this one. One of the best sci-fi films of all time. One of the best movies of all time. It, it just felt so much cleaner than the first one. And the first one's good. But it, it's like, you know, you set the table in part one and in part two is where you get to play with all the toys. Yeah. And it just looked like visually you could see that his camera was a bit more jittery. He's got a still camera especially when it comes to the sci-fi movies, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. But he was having fun with it, man. He There were quick little zoom-ins to really build the atmosphere. He loves that behind the, the headshot when you're walking into a new environment right. and then you pull back. The whole movie, it feels like an adrenaline rush. Nah, he might be the be- best framer in the game. He might be. Dude, like I said this after the movie ended. I, I liked the first Dune. I gave it a four and a half. Out of five, but like this movie's got me rethinking that four and a half because I this one was so much better. So maybe this is like a, a five plus, a six star if that was possible. Five plus, like 
but it made me think back on the other one. I'm like, I really like that one. And this one is just so much better in every single way. Um, like you said, I think there's going to be a strong debate once people see this. Like, is this the best like sequel movie of all time? For me right now, it's like, I, th- I think it's definitely up there. But like, I would not argue against anyone who does. Because based on its merit, it is, I think, one of the best sequels of all time already. And I, I think the reaction going into it from people who have seen it before us the high Rotten Tomato score like really got me am- like amped up and I had high expectations going in and I was just, those expectations were met and then some. It was just an incredible movie theater experience. Yeah, dude. A-, a lot of people have talked about that. Is this the first in a new slate of blockbuster filmmaking where we get back to celebrating all tour directors, trusting them with these big budgets so they can bring these visions to life? Or is this the last of its kind right where we're not going to see movies like this or oppenheimer anymore because studios aren't willing to take the risk and that's why uh villeneuve is spending the capital that he had uh built up throughout this run that he's been on uh for with smaller movies and then some bigger movies with arrival and then going to blade runner 2049 and then choosing to adapt a book as we've said many many times and many people have said that was considered unfilmable and to just absolutely knock it out of the park kudos to him Because you can start to argue, you know, not only is this one of the better sci-fi movies of all time, but is he the best sci-fi director? Uh, When you give him $100 million and he's in that sci-fi genre, he's going to give you something that's absolute classics and masterpieces of the genre. And this one fits. We're going to go top 10 sci-fi over the past decade, maybe a little more now. Um, No, maybe decade. Is he not three of the top five? (laughs) With he might be arrival yeah. blade runner 2049 in this one yeah no it's it's arguable and that's what's so incredible about it is that he could he's occupying maybe 40 percent of the list for some people and i think that's credible because like you said arrival uh nominated for a bunch of awards blade runner 2049 uh, taking up the blade runner mantle and delivering on a film that many people consider superior to the first but this uh, a lot of people are going to call this his best movie because there's just so much good stuff going on here and i had commented um before we put on the mics, that he really does lean more into the surrealism of the book and the abstract moments, uh, the philosophy of the spice and how it's a psychedelic and seeing into the future, making choices that you don't necessarily understand. And uh, the way that he played with the complexity of all that stuff was just absolutely brilliant. And it really shines through the performances. I think uh, Timothy Chalamet loved him in the first one. He's even better in this one. Rebecca Ferguson's character, I think, is going to be fascinating for a lot of people to see where that character goes. And once again, absolutely killing it in that role. And uh, more humor in this one. Oh yeah, if he felt more, and I think it shows not only with the the humorous moments, just all throughout, he felt way more comfortable in this world. Like he had mastered it, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do with every single moment. But like I said, more levity. There were moments where essentially the entire crowd was laughing, right. and it fit the story perfectly. It wasn't out of place. It wasn't a wink and, the, and a nod at the audience. It just felt the uh, it fit the characters. And uh, I think a lot of people are saying Javier Bardem as Stilgard was their favorite performance. And once again, he was good in the first. Leaves such a stronger impression in this one. Right. His character. It's almost like he has his own arc in this film. Um. And Zendaya. You know, people were disappointed about her limited role in the first one. They were like, is it going to be too much focus on the love story between her and Paul? It was balanced perfectly. No. As, as good as it could get. I mean, as much as everything else going like on around the characters is fascinating and astonishing, it really is very much, much more character driven. And I think 
every performance is elevated. And I think the focus on the characters was something that was slightly missing from the first one. He kind of allowed the story to go through the characters rather than uh, the opposite. I do appreciate the first one, like now looking back on it, and I'm going to watch it again, probably before I see rewatch this one in the theaters, maybe go like back to back. But I think establishing the world and kind of setting up the chessboard the way he did in the first one, while it might not be as good as this one, I think it was wholly necessary to allow him to have the solid base to really go after it here. But yeah, I I think every performance was pretty much better. Uh, Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, I said on the Revisited that at times I wasn't really fully bought into his character. Here, I think he just takes it to another level. And he was at, he was very good. Becker Ferguson, probably my favorite performance and my favorite like kind of character arc is Lady Jessica. Um, was probably the standout for me. And like you said, Zendaya, getting the extra see, uh, screen time as pretty much the co-lead here. I think uh, her chemistry with Chalamet, Chani, and Paul's relationship and their development throughout this movie really carried it. Yeah, and I, the first movie, the first half of the novel... I think this is a, a bit of a criticism of the first movie. It's plot driving the characters where everybody's responding to where they have to be in the plot. But as you said, this story goes through the characters and it's more characters driving the plot because you're getting the different opinions on this Moadib prophecy and the Kwisatz Haderach and not everybody's down with this. We see the differences in geography of the planet and how there are different sieges, there are different tribes that have different beliefs, and those beliefs are coming through these individual characters. And uh, Zendaya's character uh, of Chani is obviously so important to the story, but like I said, their relationship, even when reading it, sometimes I felt it seems a bit cold. Like they're, they fall in love because that's how Frank Herbert wanted to write it. But like I said, there was a lot of young love moments between the two of them, where it's obviously not easy. They get off on a rough footing because he had just killed someone who belonged to her tribe. But the way that he developed that relationship throughout the movie, corresponding with Paul understanding the desert and understanding how to be a Fremen, as I said, it was a a beautiful balancing act. And uh, just opening up the planet, getting more insight into the Fremen, who they are, how they live, how they operate, like I said, the different beliefs, the different philosophies. Incredible. God, I wish that movie could have went on for another eight hours just to learn more and more about Fremen life. It, It was just... And visually... Like we said on The Revisited, Greg Frazier, one of the best cinematographers working today, bringing that culture to life the way that they did is just such a triumph. It's a triumph within the movie. Like the movie's yeah. good itself, but just the way it looks, God, that is a, oh, it's just a real it's, place, yeah. like it's, real temples, real people, real culture. I mean, the score was excellent. Um, I found the sound design to be, and this is all things carrying over from the first one, but um, the sound design was excellent. The... Yeah, like, shout out to whoever Hans Zimmer stole that score from. <laughs> You're such a hater. Um, but like... Google Hans Zimmer like even score the, stealing. Even in the first movie, like I think Chani says, like Dune is so beautiful when the sun's low. Yeah, you can say that, but like even in the first movie, but here especially, like they made it a point to like have scenes that were breathtaking while that was the case. Oh, so it's dude, like the opening action sequence when the sun was uh, mm-hmm. the eclipse. Yeah. That was just... Oh, God. And that's the other thing. The action sequences, I think, are far, not far better. Um, but I think there was still a little- I think they're far better. <laughs> there was a lot left on the table, I think, in the first one. But yeah. everything just felt so much more smoothly. The choreography, the way they were fighting. Um, and not in the sense of, like, I think the battle sequence, the big battle in the third act was really just incredible to look at. If anything, I would have wanted it to be like 10 minutes longer if I had to fault it for not being long, uh, even longer. But even the intimate one-on-one 
matchups, like things like that, the smaller set pieces, and uh, were so realistic. It wasn't like you could put together like a John Wick type choreography, and in that movie, it totally makes sense. But like, you'll see movies that are supposed to be grounded in a certain way that when it comes to pitting two fighters against each other, um, suddenly they turn into superhumans. It kept it grounded. It was very realistic, and I think it just makes it that much more brutal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the choreography, like you said, it was very clean, but it also had way more weight to it. Right. These fights were exhausting. You know, it's just not, I'm a great fighter, so I can beat you up, and then that's it. No, we're we're wearing the scars here. You could see the sweat. You could see the tears. And the, when the action sequences got bigger, essentially just war scenes between the Fremen and now the Harkonnens who are ruling over the planet. They're main characters, so you know that they're not going to die, but still, that tension was there. And they were brilliantly thought out and crafted and created. I can't remember how much of those scenes really do come from the books because it's been about five years. Mm -hmm. But my goodness, in terms of just capturing fighting, the weight of the war is all there. It's all over every single sequence. And then what's so impressive is they keep getting better. He just kept topping himself. You know, he gives you a little opening taste of some new technology and uh, the setting is a bit more, it's, it's a little different. And then it just got better and bigger. And more intense and more breathtaking to the point where you made the the final conclusion. You're just exhausted. You're <laughs> like, there's more? Holy shit, I've seen so much already. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, th- I think that was missing from the first one. Um, when I think of Denis Villeneuve, like his signature, I guess, what really draws me into his previous films was his ability to create tension. You know, Sicario, the highway scene, uh, prisoners. These movies had these like palpable tension radiating off the screen. And I think he really brought that back in this one where you are at the edge of your seat, not really knowing what's going to happen and just creating these situations and putting your investment into these characters that you really are weighing on their every move. Yeah. And it's like also the decisions that they have to make. You put yourself in those shoes. Well, yeah, not even tension tension derived from action, just by decisions, decision making and what's going to happen next. And yeah, talk about scary. There's so many brilliant horror elements in this movie. Um, And like you said, that mixed with the humor, like he really, maybe not in the sense of like he couldn't have done that in the first one, but I just think confidence in himself, like, okay, this movie that was book that was deemed unfilmable, I, I did it. I accomplished that in the first one. Like it or not, I think most people like it and think uh, higher favorably of it. Um, I got that out of the way. Now I can really have the, my give myself the freedom and confidence to kind of go after it in different ways. Yeah, he really embraced the weirdness. There's one sequence, you probably can figure out what I'm talking about, early in the movie with Lady Jessica. And the way that it's shot, where you have shots of Lady Jessica, then you have shots of a new character that it was so weird. And then yeah. a group of new characters that you haven't seen before that are just absolutely freaking you out. And that's the stuff in the book that wasn't as present in the first movie. And it's not as present in the first half of the story, but it almost feels like a Trojan horse situation. He's like, I brought you guys all in for the table setting. Now I'm going to show you what's under the cloth. And it's not pretty all the time. It's just not beautiful shots of this sand planet. It's weird philosophical shit that's going to make your skin crawl a bit. You're not going to fully understand what's happening, but you're definitely going to feel it. No, there's a shot with her with the radiant blue eyes that like I could watch that for two and a half hours. (laughs) Like just screen presence like uh, to a million. Just she's incredible. Yeah, Yeah. she's one of the best finds of like the last 10 years. I mean, when she played uh, Faust and that was her name, right? In Mission Impossible. Oh, okay, yeah. 
she, she was just a star right away when you saw her in that yellow dress when they're in the opera house. Mm-hmm. And she's d- done such a good job of picking roles that are still movies that, y- you know, p- are going to be successful, but they're also respected right. when it comes to the Dune series and Dr. Sleep. But yeah, out of it's hard to determine who was my favorite out of the cast. I think it's Austin Butler. Yeah, no, he's, we were talking about it before, his mannerisms, his facial expressions, the way he just moves and acts like... No, he's got that it factor to him, too. Like, he yeah. understands the assignment. Everybody had so much fun with the whole Elvis accent. I, I hope he keeps this accent no. for another six months, because it was so freaky. Just his face, like, the no yeah. eyebrows, the bald head, like, it all just worked. Yeah, it, like, especially, like, the contrast between him and Dave Batista, just physically. Right, but right. like... No, it got to a point where you were more scared of his yeah. character than Bautista's. And it wasn't just because you know, he's a good fighter and that's, he's supposed to be the antithesis of Paul. It's not very subtle. And I think even in the trailers, people can gauge that, but it's just like you said, the, the mannerisms, the way he carries himself, he gives off the impression of somebody who's going to, you just can't read him. Yeah. He's totally reckless. Uh, whereas Bautista's character is the tradi- traditional brute. Scary, but predictable. Um, but their dynamic was great. And the Baron kind of have a, a similar role still in the shadows and then his big tub <laughs> pulling the strings. More of a backseat, this this movie. Um, yeah. But still with the plans within plans. Oh, uh, yeah. And their home world looked... So they have a black sun. That's what they said, right? That's yeah, why they're all the, just black and white. Yeah. Right. That was a great detail too, man. Yeah. Everybody was complaining about that when they first saw those images. Like, oh, you're not being very subtle here. It's like, well, it was science. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously Christopher Walken, Florence Pugh, Emperor and Princess. Oh, really good too, man. Yeah. Florence Pugh, I was surprised. Um, you know, just knowing because it's, that's essentially what she does in the book too. Is she every chapter features like a little blurb from her diaries so it kind of sets you up for what you're about to see she's recalling the events but the way that they incorporated that within real time was awesome well i did they think there's some cool things to kind of help like in 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 place of exposition i feel like that was a cool way yeah and also there's a very interesting thing they do with lady jessica in a way that you kind of get her internal monologue but in a very (laughs) interesting and clever way that no in a way that's going to it's going to freak people out and they're not going to realize that they're being fed exposition. They're just right, going to be like, right. how is this happening? <laughs> it's a way to do exposition without it being exposition-y. And yeah, like, it was brilliant. Yeah. So I think those two things really, because with a world this big, and some people can look at the first one being like, it is just basically exposition maybe for the for this movie in a way. But um, it's such a fine line and a delicate thing to play with because like you definitely need it so people aren't lost, but you don't want it to be such a huge part where it takes away from everything else and i think the it was pretty clever to incorporate it in those type of ways what did you think about the new information we got about the benny jesseret without any spoilers because i know they were your favorites in the first movie just that group because of them being in the shadows them pulling strings oh yeah the string pulling politicking i think it was one of my favorite parts of the movie <laughs> it gets even better in this yeah. one getting that information because it's not only us learning it but it's, it's characters that they don't realize they think that their major player is pulling the strings meanwhile they're just pawns uh, and coming to that realization in real time having to make decisions based on just this new information instantly it was putting a lot of pressure on these characters and that's one thing you felt throughout the entire movie it's just the weight and the pressure 
of the situation. Even though uh, I felt like it's a movie that still could have used another 20 minutes, that's probably my only critique. Right. Is that it would have benefited from being longer because everything was just so good. So why not drag it out? But that's what was so impressive is that there's so much going on, but it feels just so natural with the way he told it where it's a movie. It's a nice, solid two hours, 45 minute long movie. Well, I was nervous. Like the first act of the movie is very heavily focused on one aspect of everything else going on. And, you know, like in my head, I'm like, okay, well, we need to start going over to like other things because like you run the risk of, all right, yes, we need this and we're focusing on this, but maybe a little too long because there's still so much that has to go on that you're setting up that like, do we have enough time? And yeah, we like at the end of, by the end of it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that was masterfully kind of planned out there an extra half hour whatever because it doesn't feel like it's long at all for two two hours and 45 minutes no no and uh, about midway through i had to use the bathroom but i was like i'm sticking this out no i couldn't go so and then by the time it was over i was like wow that was really fast damn <laughs> we gotta save your water didn't you learn anything from the Fremen? <laughs> Yeah, dude, all the new stuff with the Fremen, all the new information, uh, the the reverence that they have for water, uh, one, little spoiler, but there's a scene when a character is crying and Stilgar wipes their tear and says, always keep your water, don't even waste it on the dead. It just goes to show how far that they've come, how long the, uh, how long it's been since they had that initial dream to terraform Arrakis, and uh, that's the faith that they have, that's what the Bene Gesserit are trying to exploit. So yeah, it goes into the dangers of extremism, but also the dangers of exploiting that for your own gang. Uh, so I think the way that he handled those themes were uh, were pretty brilliant. And like you said, in a way where the exposition, the action, the character decisions, the acting decisions, they're all building towards that central theme, which by the end of the movie you don't know what to think. And that's a good thing because you've been set up and you've been introduced to these characters and they're heroic and they're good looking. And this is your traditional story. But by the end, the chessboard has just been, does it make sense that he's standing over there? Where does this path go? It it was brilliant. Um, And I do hope he gets the chance to uh, adapt the second novel because like I said, he was leaning into the weird shit and this one, that is, it's tip of the iceberg when you go ahead and, and read those next few novels. And Dune Messiah would just be awesome, especially if, once again, you can Trojan horse into <laughs> Trojan horse everybody into coming back for the third one, being like, oh, the second one was kind of weird. Yeah. I'll just wait until you see that third one. <laughs> and I think that based on uh, the box office numbers, uh, the projections, we're definitely going to get a part three. You can't leave this at part two. No, but- I think when the initial, like the official release... This weekend, I think critic reviews, general audiences, like the word of mouth is going to be so strong. And I think this has the potential to uh, out project, outdo its projections. You think this was uh, the best Zendaya has ever been? Yeah. Um, what would people say was their best? I haven't seen, um, what's it called? Malcolm and Marie. No. Because um, that, that I, I didn't love Malcolm and Marie, but I thought that was her best performance up until this. Uh, Euphoria. Okay, right, Euphoria. Yeah, and she's, you know, she's the lead there. Yeah. I don't know how strong the writing is, because Malcolm <laughs> and Marie, same writer. Uh, and she hasn't been, she's got challengers coming up this year with Luca Guadagnino. Not necessarily that she hasn't been acting in the Spider-Mans and Space Space Jam and New Legacy. Yeah. But like, you gotta, you know, you gotta really act. She's got star power. She's really great and cute in those movies as MJ. 
But with Dune, it is a spectacle. It is trying to make hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's a bit meatier than her other performances. And I think that's where she's headed with a movie like Challengers. You know, you want to see her with directors that are a bit more mature, that aren't catering to what the studio wants, that are making films for themselves, because that's really where you get the best roles out of these actors. And I think she is someone who has that ability. She's a fantastic model. She has star power. She has charisma. She has presence. Let's see how far she could take that in a role that drags her through the mud. And I think that's what they were going for in Malcolm and Marie. And as I said, to me, that is still her best role. And I think here you could put that right up uh, with Malcolm and Marie because it's also a better movie. And a lot of it is hinging on what she has to sell as that character. The, the love dynamic, the love that she has for her people, also being a warrior. And once again, being the co-lead for a major movie, uh, can you can you just hold that? Can you be charismatic enough? And I think she checked every box when it came right. to Dune Part 2. And for Chalamet, too. I mean, yeah, call me by your name, maybe, but like, I think he's better than this than he has been, than he was in the first one, better than he was in Wonka. He's good in Little Women, but as a leading, the leading man in this one, I think he's very convincing. And He came out of the gate hot with Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, he, <laughs> he set the bar really high. Um, but no, he's, uh, I mean, when, when they announced him, I was like, perfect. Mm-hmm. No notes. And some of the shots, dude, when he's walking as like a silhouette with the, with a rackus behind him yeah, and his, you know, his still suit capes like flapping in the wind. I was like, yo, it's cold motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the Paul character is, is that is, it was, it was fun to watch him progress and kind of come into his own and the decisions he makes. That's another thing. Like. Boy, he, he would have been such a good Anakin Skywalker. Sorry yeah. to cut you off. Some I saw one review that said he gave off like Anakin vibes. Um, but oh yeah, I think he does a a great job of weighing every decision and the moment on his face and into like basically everything his character does. And Denis loves that face, man. He's always giving him close ups. Mm. He's like, I know what I'm working with here, man. These fucking cheekbones, <laughs> the bone structure. Ooh, another close up, another close up. Denis, this is supposed to be a Stilgar scene. <laughs> Dude, and Stilgar was just, um, like I said, very humorous, but also very powerful in those moments when you learn more about that character and why he believes so much uh, in Paul and the relationship that they form. Everything about that character, like I said, he had a a couple of really funny lines that uh, had the whole theater cracking up, but they were perfect for the story uh, and perfect for his uh, characterization. And just, man, like I said, uh, what a fucking great, great movie. You know, I I criticized Nolan a few months back when he was like, you know, I I can't really make a small film anymore because I'm all about the big spectacles, you know, that bring people out to the theaters. And a part of me is like, yeah, this is cinema at its best. This is something that only cinema can do. Yeah. You're not going to get this budget on TV. You're not going to get the size of the screen. You're not going to get the star power. You're not going to get this just absolute commitment to showing people something that they've never, ever seen before with their own two eyes. And uh, I, if, if you're standing up listening to this, you might want to sit down. This might break my in-theater record of Force Awakens, which seven? I watched seven times. No, I want to see this. I know this. people are probably shocked. Here. Yeah. This is a movie that like... Oppenheimer for sure, like such a great experience in IMAX. But I watched Oppenheimer at home and I still fucking loved it. Right, right. I can watch this at yeah. home and I'll still fucking love it. Sure. This experience in a theater, big screen, like you said, loud, as can be fully immersive. It might be the most like deserving of like while this is an IMAX, see it as many times as you can because you might 
who knows when he can have that experience again. Oh, dude, totally. And it looks like IMAX is starting to figure out, oh, if we re-release movies, we can still make like a nice little happy buck here. So yeah, you want to catch it while it's in IMAX or while it's in Dolby, get that great sound, get that great picture. Um, but like you said, it's a fun argument to have which movie is IMAX more important to because Oppenheimer is shot uh, a majority in IMAX, but this is the action movie. So it's always right. going to be a bit more special when you're watching a movie like this in the IMAX theater. No, yeah, as good as Killian looks, like projected on a 60-foot screen. I mean, yeah, talk about another guy bombs with great and bomb, bomb stuff structure. and like <laughs> sword fights are a little cooler than uh, <laughs> conversations with Einstein. Speaking of which, I'm glad it didn't, but also how fun would it have been? Because I think if this movie releases in November, director would be... A lot. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And best picture. I still think Oppenheimer would get the nod just because. I think up until that point, it was yeah. building so much momentum. Even this wouldn't have been enough because it's still, yeah. once again, it would have had that uh, sci-fi stink to it for the Academy. Even though I think it would have been nominated like yeah. the first one was. But to award him that I think cinematog- over Nolan. Cinematography, score, like, edit, like in those categories, I think it would have been a lot of fun. But even Villeneuve versus Nolan, like going into it, maybe it's a little bit more muddled. I still think Nolan would probably fun. would have won majority leading up to the Oscars. But Dude, but look at the all the movies that are being pushed back. I mean, obviously, we're going to have some great directors come out with movies and movies that we're, we're really not keeping an eye on that are going to come out and everybody's going to love them because that happens every year. But this is wide open for Dune Part 2 to dominate award season. I hope so. Well, a movie like this, a more optimistic that like a March release won't hurt it. I think so. I think it definitely has staying power. Yeah, like ideally, like Nolan gets his this year and then Villeneuve gets recognized for it next year, especially not even getting nominated for director for Dune Part 1, even though picking up every other nomination that it could, uh, technically. <laughs> um, They're going to do the opposite here. You're going to just nominate him for director and nobody else gets a nomination. But I think this one has potential for maybe some acting awards as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely, dude. Uh, if anybody... It would be Rebecca Ferguson, because that feels like the role, even though mm-hmm. Austin Butler is going to be one of my favorite performances of the year. He's got so many people in front of him. That might be tough. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Zendaya is definitely in play. I think Chalamet could be in play yeah. as well. Yeah, no, Chalamet's lead would be such a brilliant choice. So they won't make it. Uh, it it would been like it would have been like nominating Christian Bale for The Dark Knight. Uh, I think he deserved it, but. He was so overshadowed by the Joker that a total afterthought. I don't know. There's like a a stigma against playing leading sci-fi actors. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, once again with Bale, he's nominated for playing Dick Cheney. You know, the, the Academy just loves that. You totally transform. But what if it's a role that you're born to play and you're great at it? Right. Because that's how I would argue for Paul Atreides, uh, for Timothy Chalamet as Paul, born to play this role and he's so good at it. Shouldn't that be rewarded every now and then? Yeah, even like the superhero movies. Yeah. Any nomination people talk about, it's always supporting. Right, right. And mostly villainous. Like Robert Downey Jr. You know, I, I thought, I used to argue during Endgame, give him the best actor for not only Endgame, but just the the culmination of this this run that he's been on. But we will see. All right, we're going to take a quick break to shout out our sponsor for today's episode. And then we're going to ask some of our leftover questions. So stay tuned. It's kind of a shame our theater didn't get the uh, the Dune popcorn bucket though. The one we had it was just the Dune bucket, but it was like twice the size. So it was I guess just a that big was ass bucket. Yeah. That was my dinner because I'm not a human being and can't make meals myself. And that's why I use Factor. 
Whenever I have a busy day, I'll know I'll have pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals waiting for me. With meals delivered right to my door, you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, plus veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. You can fuel up fast with their two-minute restraint quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. And it's not just limited to meals. You can choose snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like a quick breakfast, midday bites, and much more. And even though math was never my specialty, I've calculated the cost and factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is approved to be nutritious and delicious. So don't wait, head to factormeals.com nerdsoup50 and use code nerdsoup50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. That's code nerdsoup50 at factormeals.com nerdsoup50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. I love that. I'm so grocery shopping. I'm not good at it. I get overwhelmed. I never know what to get. No, dude. Like, I know that obviously they're sponsoring our video, but that's why people should use Factor because it just makes <laughs> shit so much easier. And I have used it because they sent me a free trial. Yeah. And the food is very good. No, it makes it easier too. Like, especially like I, I have actually done keto before, but like keeping up with it and like knowing what is actually it is. Right, yeah, <laughs> like, that's the other thing. Am it's... I messing this up on my own? Right. <laughs> I just like people who know what they're talking about do it for me. Yes, that's that's always the hardest part is just keeping up with it. So if somebody else is doing that hard work for you, then easy peasy. All you got to do is munch. All right, let's take some of our leftover questions that we asked from our Dune Revisited. Uh, this one here from John O. Tatum, kind of a continuation of something we talked about on yesterday's episode, but... He says Dune 2 gets uh Dune gets wild after part 2. Would you want to see Denis adapt the later books? Definitely Messiah because I think it's very appropriate especially for the story of some of the main characters and uh, you have the chance now to tell it through a trilogy. Obviously Messiah and Dune are two separate books. They're not three books. But Messiah I think fits nicely into one movie, another one epic movie. And he's talked about wanting to take some time, maybe like 5-year gap, even to a 10-year gap. So we will see. As for the books following Messiah, haven't read them, don't really know much about them. I know that they, I know some of the weirder parts of them. Really, really weird to the point of pissing off people who are fans of the first two. I doubt we'll ever see those in movies. Maybe shows. Yeah, I could see Warner Brothers doing something where, like, say this makes a boatload. They fucking rush to, oh, we need to get Messiah out. <laughs> it's so funny how some of these studios change their tone. <laughs> I know they like a couple uh, dollars. I don't know if this is gonna work. Yeah, like the hesitation for Dune, like not even know, like we didn't even know we were gonna get this movie. We, like, let us forget. Like, if it was a non-COVID year and Dune like performed the way it did, like who knows what would have happened? Yeah, no, there's no guarantee that part and two would have been made. Maybe would have made more, and because it was dual release, but. Who knows what the future would have held? And like now that this is getting all this praise and it's probably gonna make a buttload of money, it's like, oh yeah, Messiah, yeah, we always that was always in the bag. <laughs> That was always our, uh... Dude, even after, like, the first one was made and ready to come out, all the shows they announced, they were like, mm -hmm. oh, we're gonna do a Benny Gesserit show, and, uh, I think there was another Dune show that they were talking about. But who even knows if, if that's going to happen, especially with the way Warner Brothers has been running their studios, because even if the show is good, if they don't believe it's gonna make money, they'll fucking erase it. But I think we're so quick now to, like, to con continue on something that's popular and make money, especially now everyone has a streaming service. If Lord of the Rings came out in this era, 
Like, I feel like something like Rings of Power would have been announced two years after Return of the King, just to put on their streaming service and capitalize off the success. So I think if this comes, like, this does well, then hopefully Villeneuve, like, I hope he doesn't get pressured and pushed into making Messiah, like, right away, if that's not what he wants to do. And if he wants to take his time to make something quality, that's obviously the best way to do it. But if he does take that break, maybe there's something in the gaps. Limited series, keeping Dune in the uh in the th- in the minds of everybody i don't know yeah i i really don't want to see dune go that way i think we really need to stop that when it comes to these franchises like they just announced uh beef season two beef was just such a good one-off miniseries it feels so weird to bring in new actors because it felt like you know, so much of the comedy and so much of the story was about not all of it, but the Asian American experience. And those stories are so few and far between. That's why a movie like Crazy Rich Asians that I didn't love, but I had people tell me we don't really get those movies with the Asian American perspective. There's a lot right. of movies that come out of Japan. There's a lot of movies that come out of China, but they're not the Asian American perspective that the chinese perspective or the japanese perspective so it just feels like everything's always got to be a franchise these days like even squid game yeah, fucking yeah. season two it was just so perfect uh from beginning to end but we'll see what happens with dune messiah i, I do want to see uh adapted just even, because like i said it, it it's a good ending i was like, even like true detective like that being rushed like it took him so long to make season one and then like oh we got to hit our hands we need season two that's why i was asking you about dune messiah i'm like was that always the plan or was it right in reaction to dune being such a success and i was like oh fuck now i gotta write another one i feel like things always come uh are a better quality when it's organic so uh dune the original dune came out in uh 64 messiah came out five years later um well it could have been his plan i was just i was just asking that question right, like right, if right. It, was it a oh shit i got a hit here now i got to make this sequel or was it like no this is actually the story i wanted to tell from the beginning dude one of the novels though just the cover alone if they adapted that into live action <laughs> which one uh god emperor now there's some weird shit when you read up about like the history and lore of dune yeah it gets really weird uh really weird uh, this question here from Diego, he says, uh, which historical figure is Paul most similar to? And there was another question here that asked, uh, I can't remember who asked it. What other fictional characters does Paul remind you of? You know, your typical, you know, hero. And I think what's fun about Paul is because the hero is always the most boring part, like Harry Potter. He's kind of just boring. Ron and Hermione, that's where you get the personality. But I think with Paul, it's just built into who he is as a person that they've stripped away all of his personality traits because they've been preparing him to take on this role as a duke, as a messiah, as a king. So he's losing touch with his humanity and he realizes that and he blames his parents for that. So I think that's an interesting way to work in the cliched, uh, vanilla, brave character, the the hero that's that's the connective tissue for all the different colorful personalities in his world, the good guys and the villains. Fun way playing with that trope when it comes to Paul's character. Historically, I mean, obviously, it's like a combination of Lawrence of Arabia, T.E. Lawrence, and it always felt like Alexander the Great, just because of his Alexander the Great's father was also a respected, well-respected, good at forming alliances, uh, was feared by the other Greek houses because of his potential. So it always kind of lined up, you know, conqueror while also explorer. Um, there's even a line in, in part two when Zendaya says that, or Chani says that he's different because he's sincere. Yeah. You get that from Paul's character, that he does care about learning about this culture. It's not just about his uh, political gain. But like I said, I think uh, Chalamet would, would have been such a perfect Anakin. 
even with that dialogue. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's tough. <laughs> I mean, you see also like Jon Snow once again. Yeah, but like Jon Snow with some sauce to him. Jon Snow's a bit sauceless. Right. And exactly. That's like, once again, so many of these main characters, Frodo, Jon Snow, Harry Potter, the icons, they're icons. Mm-hmm. But they're sauceless, and they're not as... And that's intentional. Nah, Frodo's saucy, man. <laughs> you just don't see it. No, I don't see it. Sam, now Sam's got the sauce. Nah, he's got the seasoning. That is so true, yeah, no. He's got a good form to it, too. <laughs> Motherfucker is <laughs> carrying a, a chicken seasoning into Mordor. That, just, just in case. That is so funny, dude. Well, this question from Matt, which we did answer, who were we most excited to see join the cast? Well, who who would you say was your favorite out of the new ones? I think Austin Butler. Yeah, same for me. You can say Zendaya in a way, because like, obviously she didn't really have a chance to fully realize that character in the first movie. So in a way, you can kind of say her, because we're just getting more of her, finally. Um, but as far as new to the world, Austin Butler. It'd be interesting now to revisit the question that we got on the last one. I think someone asked, like, could this be, like, the best trilogy of all time? Right. And I said at the time, like, Dune 2 is going to have to blow my, was it my balls or my dick off? Dick. It was my dick. Yeah, balls intact. Yeah, okay. I think it might have. Both of them. Well, with this one, for a lot of people, it's ready to enter that conversation. If three is even in between one and two here. But that's the thing with, uh, like, comparing it to Lord of the Rings, like, I think all three. So... Yes. It's it's tough when... Lord of the Rings, it's very difficult. Everyone's got a different favorite. Right. And it's so hard to put this above... You can... Honestly, it could be an argument to put this above any of them, but not to a degree high enough where it overcomes... And I hate to speak... It sounds like we're speaking about Dune 1 like it's a garbage movie. It's a very good movie. But uh, it's just a different level, Dune Part 2. And I think all the three Lord of the Rings movies, but... Like I said before, there's a best sequel of all time. It's not crazy. No, it, it, I mean, it's in that conversation now. It's in that Dark Knight, Godfather 2, Toy Story 2, Rush Hour 2 conversation uh, for a lot of people. And it I know one be. of those movies, many people wouldn't put in that conversation, but I like Toy Story 2. And if we're stricken, like speaking strictly sequels, like there could be a, a scenario where down the road I look back on it and like, because Two Towers isn't my favorite Lord of the Rings movie. So it, it could be an argument. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's it's very fair, dude. Even uh, just having seen it last night, you know what you're watching. You watch, we watch something yeah. special. We watched an all-time yeah, movie. Yeah, unless I watch it again and I'm like, okay, maybe I was just too caught up in the moment and now I start to see certain things that I can pick apart, but like, I just don't see, I don't really see that happening. Uh, this question here from Strawberry Jam. Dune 2 has quite the cast. Which movie do you think has the biggest and or baddest ensemble cast? Well, I guess the best or the baddest. Like ever? I mean, dude, when it comes to just straight up quality of the actors, this is up there because there's just so many good ones right. in the movie. I mean, Godfather, you can argue just because there's a lot of good actors and they all have a lot to do uh, in those movies and all the performances were critically acclaimed. The Dark Knight always comes to mind, um, just top to bottom. All the Batman characters were casted perfectly. You know, you have Michael Caine as Alfred and Morgan Freeman as right. Lucius Fox. How, how much better can you fucking get? The all-timer with Heath Ledger as Joker, Bale, many people's favorite Batman, not even to mention Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon. Dude, honestly, like pound for pound, too, when you look at it, especially now, like even movies like the Ocean's Eleven movies. like Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good one. We think of like Clooney, Brad Pitt, like Matt Damon. Don Cheadle. Yeah. Bernie Mac. Andy Garcia. Like, yeah. And then- 
think of like other like Casey Affleck was an afterthought in that movie. <laughs> Fast forward down the line, he's an Oscar winner. Oppenheimer. And, yeah. And like it has to be a stacked cast and they have to be good in that movie and I think just good in general as well. So so I think anyone could have like a stacked cast, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Look like at Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Terrible. Yeah, a lot of the Robert Altman movies like Nashville, uh Shortcuts, just superstars all over the cast. Uh Mongolia, huge cast. You've got stars all over the place once again. And those are both uh Good movies, but sometimes you have the the huge cast. Like, what was that? Uh, like movie twenty three, <laughs> yeah, or um Valentine's Day. One of those bullshit. Those fucking Hallmark movies always have like forty A listers for no reason. <laughs> Just like Oprah decided to be in this movie. Shout out Oprah, but she should return that land to the rightful owners in Hawaii. Um, this this question here from Cam. Top five pieces of media based on world building lore, and why is One Piece number one? Our cam? Yes, our cam. Mm. Can you get a cam? Get a new bit. I got to take his side now. I'm, gonna, I'm waiting to see if you guys can resist. There's no fucking way <laughs> you guys can resist making the uh, Bo hasn't seen it. Um, oh, so we have to review it. Yeah, no, it's that's just right that's up for the both of you. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how long. I'll wait for him to see if he makes the first move. By the end of that recording, you're gonna be sucked into the computer and just morph into one Cam Aaron AI. Yeah. No, one thing. Like, I'm still like early in like my anime viewing. Because like One Piece is your like, anime journey. Yeah, because like yeah. One Piece is just it's just gonna take up five animes I could have watched. Right. Um. But it is pretty incredible. Like from what I've like the ones I have seen, the ability to really create worlds. Um, yeah, no, I always hear it's second to none. And there are some animes I've watched that well, have really even, good world. Like Attack on Titan, like other ones I've watched too. Oh, like right, that's right, just right. always a an important factor. It seems like for the good ones to really establish the world that you're going to be in. So One Piece would be in your top five. I mean, the world is so it's pretty incredible. Uh, I haven't really like thought about it too much, like outside of and compared to, compared to other things. But um, maybe I'll wait till I finish to really see where it lies. Um, or uh, catch up. Game of Thrones is always Song yeah. of Ice and Fire is always going to be number one to me. That nobody comes close. Maybe somebody's written a better story within their worlds. Yeah, and maybe Tolkien's world has you know he's got all the languages and the races and the histories and blah blah blah. But there's just something about George's world, man. Like, I, I just always think about, like, what's happening in that southern continent? <laughs> yeah. Like, the mystery that he leaves. And it, it just feels all so of that time period of where we were in the Middle Ages when it comes to our knowledge of the world, of the known world, and the way that certain societies uh, existed and then no longer existed, the different cultures that developed, the languages, the faiths, the religions. It just such it's just such a good reflection of of humanity at that time. Yeah. So that's why, and and then the magic is also awesome. Yeah, and I think an underrated part of the the series is really establishing that too into an, a digestible format. Right. Yeah. People forget like it's, it was a great show, <laughs> um, especially early on. those days so much. But even Jackson, like you said with Tolkien, I mean, it is a very like uh, reading it. Uh, you obviously get a a different scope from than what you get from the movies. There's so much more there, but even what Jackson is able to do, I think in his movies and establish that world of middle earth to be digested by a, a large general audience and be as popular as it is. And as great as it was, is such a great achievement. And you might know more from, from reading Dune. Um, 
and my YouTube videos I've watched about the history of Dune. I mean, the world Herbert was able to create, but I think Villeneuve does a fucking excellent job establishing it for uh, on uh, on screen. Yeah, that's definitely up there when it comes to world building. I guess my two favorites. I mean, grew up loving Harry Potter. Still love those movies. It's a shame that the writer is now doing forty years in prison. Um, Attack on Titan to me is the one that always comes closest in my mind, and I, I haven't read many fantasy novels, so uh, I'm sure there are plenty of wor- worlds out there that haven't gotten the same love as a Harry Potter or a Song of Ice and Fire. Because for a long time, that was the Song of Ice and Fire, it's just kind of out there. Like, well, yeah, right. it had it; it was successful, but not the to the extent that it is today. Well, I think the cool thing with Attack on Titan, like, I kind of, it's similar to what we were talking about before with sequels, like, were they planned or is it a reaction to the success of your previous work? Attack on Titan will connect things from later seasons to earlier seasons, like, and you could tell it's just complete, like, pre, it was pre-planned before it was written. Like, this was always the way it. it was going to be. It wasn't like, oh, this is a cool, like, writing, writing, um, like a manga down the line, like, oh, would it be cool if I did this and connected it to that thing I wrote, like, from the, from the first issue? It's like, no, it, it, it comes off as, like, this is always a plan, that's why it makes more sense, and it works just so much better. And somebody goes, Dune lore is just extended Earth lore. That's true. Yeah, no, it is true. Uh, we'll take a couple more questions before we wrap it up. They should just jump the shark completely and be like, oh, do you know that your great, 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 whatever was a famous actor, Timothy Chalamet? <laughs> The resemblance is uncanny. It's a shame he wasn't awful in this movie because I was going to debut Shalamid. <laughs> but I guess we'll have to save that for Dune Messiah. Yeah. If he's not really feeling it on that set. Oh, uh, this question here from Luca Dune or Star Wars? Who are you guys taking? The thing with Star Wars is <laughs> when you really look at it. What is Star Wars anymore? It's like they shoot 40% from the, like, from th- like, that's generous, yeah. That's good from but three. They're taking from threes. Three, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're like, taking threes. You could be Steph. Three and D. But like as a whole, <laughs> dude. Even like you could. Some people will argue for their theatrical releases. They're like three for twelve. I wouldn't argue that. But I'm saying there are people out there who are like the first two are good. Yeah, I'll give them. And f- I like Rogue One. <laughs> I'll give them four, maybe five if I'm being generous. Um, I mean, Dune always felt like. Uh, I mean, Star Wars is in reaction to Dune, because Dune did come out first. You know, George Lucas didn't want to make Dune. He wanted to make something that was more pulpy, more Saturday morning cartoon. And it was obviously very, very successful. So it it is, it's not hard to compare them. They're both in space. Well, if we do original trilogy, is A New Hope better than Dune Part 1? Yes. Is Empire better than Dune Part 2? Yes. Okay. But Messiah... Empire got me excited. Messiah could be better than Revenge of the Sith. Oh, without uh, a doubt. Return of the Jedi. And, uh, it's not unfair to yeah. put uh, Dune Part 2 with Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> it really isn't. No. It's not. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, to me, is just it's not even a Star Wars thing. It's just you rewatch it and you're like, this is a fucking perfect movie. Yeah, I guess it's different when you go for the first two movies, Star Wars has the edge. And then you can go into the which lore do you prefer, which world do you prefer. And, uh, you know, maybe it's too simple to say Dune's for adults, Star Wars more for right. kids, because I, I love the Star Wars universe. I think but Star I think Wars Dune is better because you can open it up without it getting too frustrating and confusing, whereas Star Wars, you can't really do that. I think Star Wars will always be cooler. Yeah, you got the lightsaber, you got the force, yeah. you got the Yoda. I think it's a testament to how cool Star Wars is that it can, like, really suck and people will still like it. <laughs> like, whereas Dune, if these movies sucked, no one oh, would think about boy. Dune ever again. No. These movies needed to be this good to even like 
make their dent in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Like, are we part of the culture now? Like, maybe. We'll see how this part two does at the box office. Well, we also asked uh, top three Villeneuve movies uh, on the last episode. Would this crack your top three for Denis? Because right now, yes, it would for me. I think bye so. Bye-bye, enemy. <laughs> yeah. I think, what did I have? Sequ- uh, not Sicario. I had Pre- Arrival. Arrival, Blade Runner, and... Uh, Incendies. Incendies, yeah. It might be between this and Blade Runner, honestly. Yeah, and what's funny is this one reminded me so much more of how I felt watching Blade Runner 2049, where it was like by like 10 minutes in, I was like, I'm in the hands of a master. I'm being cradled right now with a warm bottle. I can't wait to see this again. (laughs) There are just so many sequences that just keep flashing in my brain. You got to start talking about him as like legit zero misses. Like who else is on that type of streak? With his movies, his filmography, all being that good. People would argue Nolan. But more, more I, divisive, obviously, well, with the that's, tenet a, that's what I'm saying. Nolan's, the Interstellar. Nolan's more divisive. But those movies also uh, are aging very well. Interstellar is. Right, people love Tenet now. Yeah, they love Tenet. And Interstellar, even when it came out, it was more so critics. Fan, Nolan fans loved it. Uh, and like I said, there was some critical pushback, but the more the years go by, people fucking love Interstellar. Like, that's a movie the other day Marissa watched for the first time. She texted me, just assuming that I also loved it, because mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not that, that big on Interstellar like other people are. And she's like, Interstellar, masterpiece. Well, and assuming, I was like, yeah, that's how a lot of people be feeling these yeah. days. Assuming that Dark Knight and Oppenheimer are Nolan's best two. I mean, like a versus battle, like you're throwing out Dune 2 and you're throwing out Blade Runner 2049 if you're a villain new. Right, yeah. And with Incendies, it's weird because you have to put up Incendies against like maybe Memento. But even right. then, it's it's tough to compare them because Nolan was... Yeah. He has a rival in his back pocket. Right, right. Oh, you're going to throw an Interstellar? I think Arrival's a better movie. That w- they should do director versus. God, Interstellar but it's like versus three days, Arrival would be to, such a bloodbath. You have to watch the whole movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like a three-day event. with the crowd. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Villeneuve just screens prisoners. So let's see what Nolan encounters with. Just drops Tenet. Everyone goes crazy. Then you have to sit and watch the movie. I know, yeah. Three hours <laughs> later. All the uh, Denis fans are booing at certain lines. Like with the love speech and Interstellar with Anne Hathaway. Boo! Get a better writer. You can't write. Jonathan Nolan Merchant. I mean, dude, they've become... It was so cute the other day when they made that little TikTok. He was like, I'm Christopher Nolan. And this is clearly not Christopher Nolan. Uh, and Denise like, oh, <laughs> giggling. <laughs> I was like, those two together are just so cute. You know, they're they're very similar, obviously. Nolan's been more successful with the box office, but showing us shit that we haven't seen before, right? They're they're awesome, and I'm glad they're buddies. It's like their version of a dick measuring contest is the longest 70 millimeter IMAX. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, they both carrying their fucking reels around like boom boxes, <laughs> just walking around Hollywood. Like, hey, what are you doing? No, nothing. Just got my uh. 70 miller 70 millimeter IMAX reel. Roll them down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's faster than yours. All right, guys, that's going to do it today for our Dune Part 2 spoiler review. We will be back uh, sometime next week, sometime early next week, to do our spoiler discussion, and that should be fun. We're going to ask for some spoiler questions. Hopefully, we'll have Teddy on that review. You never know with that guy. I don't want to say he's going to be on it, but that's going to be really fun, man, to uh, just have the opportunity to watch this movie again, talk about it again, Get into all those meaty plot details. Oh, there's going to be a lot to discuss. Aaron, thank you for joining me on this episode. Um, I am Bo Oliver, or Ruben, formerly known as Bo Oliver. <laughs> Signing off, make sure you like, share, subscribe, do all that fun stuff, and we'll see you back here soon. Probably our best review yet.
Hey guys, Aaron the Nerd Soup Monkey here with a brief shameless plug before we end the video. Do you ever feel like you don't have an adequate amount of nerd soup in your life? Like you're going to bed hungry and yearning for the nonsensical yet entertaining nutrients our podcasts provide? Well, we've come up with the perfect solution. The Nerd Soup Fan Question Podcast, exclusively available to our Patreon supporters. You can sign up now by visiting patreon.com slash nerdsoup, and for the price of only $1 per month, you'll receive exclusive access to our weekly podcast, where we answer your questions that don't make it to the main show. And while you're there, you can check out the other rewards we offer to our patrons, like stick Stickers, mugs, t-shirts, behind-the-scenes footage, and appearing in the credits at the end of our videos. And that's exactly what we're gonna do right now. Roll the names of the nerds who make Nerd Soup possible. The reason why the crypto crash didn't send our lives spiraling down a black hole of no return. Alright, I'll stop talking so you can listen to this jazzy-ass music while checking if Bo spelt your name wrong in the credits.